1: All right, welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, Season 2. They have let us come back for another season. Amazing stuff. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that looks at everything about Celtic, but with a focus on the performance, the XG, and everything is going to be backed up by the numbers. The brains of the podcast are with me, as always. That is Alan Morrison, a.k.a. Celtic by Numbers. Alan, how are you getting on? Yeah, good, thanks. Welcome back. And Jukko James as well, a.k.a. Jukko James.
0: Hey, guys. How are you? I'm all right. Good to see you.
1: So we've got a lot to get to on the show today. It's been a busy couple of weeks, a busy couple of days in the transfer market as well. Carl Selfert seems to be about to sign for Celtic. He's undergoing a medical that's according to all reports today. We're going to be talking about the rebuild so far, other potential signings on the way. We have had two preseason season games so far, another one tonight, so we're going to sort of look at the general themes from those couple of games and what big Ange is implementing so far in those games. I know they are preseason games, so there is a a bit of an asterisk beside them, but we're going to t- talk about the sort of the themes on the pitch. And the Champions League is coming up next week against FC Michelin. So we're going to see how we're fixed with that. So let's start with the news off the day. That's Karl Starfelt. Seems to be on his way to Celtic. Seems that it is imminently about to be announced. And there could be another couple of ones on the way in the next couple of days as well. James, Starfelt seems to be the man. It seems like Mario Vuscovic is no longer coming to the club. It seems like Starfelt is the guy that Celtic are going to have. Uh, sender back you've been looking at him today on twitter i see
0: yeah so the um very fascinating player actually so i just from a data perspective i've i've seen very little of him actually um in in video so the uh the profile is one of a as i described him uh, in a thread i did he's an animal i mean he's an animal that's good uh meaning that he's He's very efficient and effective in uh, tackle in dueling. Um, You know, when he engages with an attacking player, the vast majority of the time he's winning that battle uh, from open play. Specifically, Um, his effectiveness in the air is is in a defensive perspective is is not as um, dominant. He's probably a little bit um, towards mediocre, or maybe even a smidge below that uh, in, in, from an aerial perspective, uh, and he's, I think he's six, one, something like that. So again, not all of that surprising given, uh, that profile. Um, so that's encouraging and he's 26, I believe, I think he just turned 26. So he's kind of right in his athletic prime, uh, played at a good level, was very good in Sweden. And then, um, into, you know, the Russian league's a pretty good league, um, played on a decent team. I mean, I think they ended up fourth, in, in, um, the Russian league. So, you know, they had a decent amount of the ball. It wasn't like they had their backs to the wall and he was defending the whole time. So, you know, a a decent blend of, of, um, performance data that's, that's, you know, reliable, meaning that it's, he's got a a lot of it and, uh, not played on really bad sides or this, you know, you know, there's nothing quixotic that makes it a little bit more difficult to normalize his, um, his performance data. Uh, the other part that jumps out to me is um, he's very efficient in his passing, but he's quite safe. Um, so, you know, uh, that, that's not good or bad. It's just a profile issue. And again, I'm, I'm not going to presume <laughs> to have a good sense of what uh, Ange Postecoglou wants out of his defenders, you know, that that's, uh, you know, he's far more of an expert on Ange than I am. (laughs) Um, So I I think, you know, he's different than Vuskovich, There's no question. Um, Vuskovich was almost like the opposite. You know, Vuskovich, his profile is one of a really adept, deep-lying playmaker as as a center back, uh, where his defensive metrics were good, but nothing, they didn't stand out. Whereas Mm -hmm. I'd say uh, Starfelt's more of an elite open play defender with, Safe passing, efficient. He doesn't give the ball away a lot, but he's not going to do much. It doesn't appear as far as breaking lines, progressing the ball, you know, kind of those line splitting passes that Al and I always talk about. Um, so I think relative to the fit of the puzzle, that's where I'm curious. You know, how he pairs with a Julian. Um, where are we getting that deep line playmaking ball progression from? Barkas is playing a different role. I mean, there's a whole new puzzle here. That's the fun part. You know, sweeper keepers. And uh, we'll get into that when we talk about the, uh, some of the play and, and the friendly so far about how Soros being utilized, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, there's a lot there. So that's the, the first part. I mean, there's a lot of good aspects that look like if coherently used um, could really contribute to, you know, the, the team in a positive way.
1: Yeah, the aerial impact is an interesting one because for those of you who are new to this show, I'm the guy who doesn't know anything about numbers on it. But I'm I'm going to try this year. I'm going to give my go, give my best go at learning how to use scout and seeing what it's like. And the first thing that uh, jumped out to me when I looked at Starfeld's profile was his uh, low numbers in aerial duels. So it wouldn't be like Celtic if they weren't buying a, a centre back who is very very weak in the air so that i mean that seems to be the way the starfeld is interesting that he's 26 because again looking at him i'm 26 and he looks way more than a man than i'll ever look so <laughs> i think that's that's another thing that's standing out to me uh from starfeld i actually haven't seen him play all that much if you are watching on youtube do le- uh, leave a comment below it there's a couple of comments coming in here we'll get to them a little later on. Thank you to Marco, who has also left a super chat as well. We'll get to all your comments in just a sec. Alan, your early thoughts on the Starfeld signing or the the soon to be signing and
2: the sort of model of the player that he he seems to be. So you know, with it, the the, the um, sort of Celtic, you know, internet is evolving all the time, and what we're seeing now is with like the, the, the I'm going to name check cynic analysis and boys analytics and James himself. You know, as soon as a name hits the ether, slightest bit of, you know, a scout once went to watch this guy. We've now got three lots of <laughs> analysis hitting 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 the uh, the airwaves, and it's fantastic. So we are now got all this data on these on these guys that we would never have had before. So I think it's brilliant. Um, you know, because and again, just for people that may not know, that the data I have is is my own, so I don't have. Data on Starfelt because I can't watch every game on the planet, so it come to me for Celtic numbers, but not so much for Ruben Kazan. Um, so great he's great The guys have got you know access to things like Wise Scout and so forth. So what what I've read from the the people that have done done the hard work and done you know pulled together some great analysis online is I'm super excited about this guy. I think he looks absolutely top notch for what for what we need. Um, you know the the aerial dual issue. OK, let's see. I mean, you know, is he being overpowered? You know, you might not win cleanly every ball, but if you're messing up the attacker sufficiently, if you're positioned well, if you're avoiding duels, if you're pushing the forward under the ball, and therefore you don't even have a duel, all these sort of things need to come into it, which we can only really glean from watching the guy. Um you know, and Stephen Welsh was probably quite similar in that regard. And the reason that segue to Welsh is, is to cover this sort of passing question that, that James raised, or the little flag perhaps. So, I, I'm one of these people that finds passing statistics interesting. <laughs> A lot of people say, oh, passing statistics are meaningless, but it's like any stat. If you give it context and you analyse it properly, it all, it all has meaning. And given that passing, you know, represents 70 over 75% of all actions on the pitch, passing stats are to me are pretty important, right? So, I, I'm Gonna give you an example. So um you know, which is which centre back has the highest pass completion percentage of any recent and say recent, I'm going back say six, seven seasons, the highest percentage completion pass rate of any centre back in the last seven years. Guess guess who that would be.
1: Go ahead and and uh, you do it. From from Celtic only, is it?
2: Yeah, from Celtic. Yeah. I'm gonna go with Virgil van Dijk conservatively. Okay.
1: But I don't think it is. <laughs> James?
0: Yeah, it's, I'm going to say uh, probably Duffy.
2: Okay. So yeah, both are wrong. Listen, it's it's Boyata,
0: <laughs> right? Boyata, now, yeah.
2: now, the, now, the reason it's Boyata, Boyata completed 96% of his passes. You could could you could conclude from that that Boyata a great passer for the ball. In fact, the absolute the opposite is true. He was the worst passer that Celtic had. And therefore, his instruction was to give it as simply and as short To the nearest Celtic player as you possibly could. So these passing numbers could could indicate that uh, Starfield isn't a great passer. And actually, um, he needs to just give the ball to someone else as quickly as possible. Or let's this is the Stephen Welsh segue. uh, We could look at Stephen Welsh's example. Now, if you look at I I don't know how Scout defines I I meant to look it up. I didn't have time. How Scout defines a progressive pass. Um, and I don't know where Welsh sits on progressive pass stats uh, in terms of the benchmark. But certainly from my perspective, in terms of you know, creative uh, key passes, so passes that lead to chances, he's like near the bottom of Celtic centre-halves. And yet he's at the top of Celtic centre-halves in the last seven years when it comes to what I call pack passes. So these are passes that are forward, uh, find a Celtic player and take opponents out of the game. And he he averaged 11 per game. Nor the Celtic player has come near that in recent years. Uh, Julian, uh, who's known for his quite progressive passing, um, you know, averages about eight and a half pack passes a game, and Welsh is up at eleven, which is only just behind Callum McGregor, who leads for the whole squad. So, what I'm interested to see is, and um, because Wise um, Scout and others don't do packing data, um, and I think it's incredibly valuable, is whether actually what Starfield will give you is his passes will break that initial press. That initial um, forward orientated press. So he may not be taking out a lot of any defenders. He may not be taking out a lot of players. But if he's taking out that initial press and progressing the ball into midfield, that's a big tick for me. And I don't care that you know somebody might say he doesn't have any progressive passes. To me, that 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 is uh, that's worth its weight because that then starts to build the game for Celtic.
1: Yeah, well, if you're looking at a player, and I know they're completely different players, completely different positions, but Bruno Fernandes, for me, is someone who stands out as someone who takes risks with the ball. He tries to play the killer pass more often than not more often than, say, a Pedre does for Barcelona. He plays. He tries to play through the lines as much as possible, gives the ball away a lot more, but that's his job. Whereas a defender for me, a centre-back for me, is get the ball, start the attack, and you're done. Either you're carrying the ball into midfield like Christopher Ayer does, or you're giving the ball into the centre mids to do their job and, and carry the ball forward. There are a couple of comments coming in, and one thing I do want to touch on is this comment from Marco saying we will still need a centre back with Starfelt coming in, right? So Celtic has where we're going to fight down.
0: Get ready to fight down. <laughs> you ready?
1: This has been something that people have been talking about, and it, it seems the theme is that Mario Viskovic is not coming now; that it is Starfelt instead. Celtic have signed Ozai's uh, Urquide from Sheffield Wednesday. He is a centre-back by nature, could play right back as well. Do Celtic need another centre-back? Because it seems like Chris Friar is out the door if they can finally get the Starfelt thing over the line.
0: I think it's a matter of need versus want, uh, how resources are allocated and what's, um, what's a reasonable expectation. So I, um, I think it's plausible that they won't sign another one. Um and I that that's for two main reasons. One is extremely controversial, one probably not so much. Um I think Beton actually profiles pretty well for um Anja's system, particularly from, you know, if we think about uh in in this uh as Alan said, you know, um with some of the resources that of, of fellow analysts online, you, it's pretty easy to learn stuff and scale your knowledge base by reading other people's work. Uh, so Boys Analytics, Ross Goodwin has done uh, some really great work on looking at Ange in his time at Marinos and even before that. Um, and if, if you look at how he's played, for the most part, he, he keeps his um, center backs fairly deep kind of around the halfway line or just inside the, the defensive half, um, which is a place for someone who can recycle the ball. As Alan was saying, someone who's conservative and can pass it on to somebody who's, you know, going to distribute the ball. Beton can do that from that position. And when you're talking about, you know, eight of our 11 domestic competitors, that is a huge valuable skill. Um, and not only from a deep line playmaking, but he has the, and, and there's some downside risk to this as well. So again, I'm not claiming that near baton is the greatest defender that ever lived. Um, but he's, he's, he came up as a, as a number six and there's, um, you know, and he's a smart player. So if you look at his interception stats, for example, he's always been good at intercepting passes and anticipating and kind of closing down space like a midfielder does. So if you're talking about a center back in a high press system in a high line, who's basically attack, 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 try to get the ball back, move it quickly to attack again. I think he profiles very positively in that context. And if he's going to be playing next to a guy like Starfelt, who's an animal defensively, to me, that's a pretty good complementary pairing um, that would highlight what Beton's good at and complement with somebody who helps with his deficiencies. Um, The second part I'll add, which is the probably not controversial. And and I don't think this has been released publicly. Um, I think it's I'm 99% sure it's true, which is Celtic have uh, invested in a a software package or not package, but a, a company that offers a service that does artificial intelligence or machine learning for fitness. Basically, how do you help your players stay fit? And a guy like Beton can benefit from that, uh, who has had chronic kind of soft tissue. This particularly helps with soft tissue, you know, hamstrings, quads, calves. Um, and they've had, you know, teams like Getafe. There's a, a case study that Getafe and in, in La Liga who were one of the first teams that adopted this, had their injury rate drop 75, 80 percent. And when you're talking about, I, I, I think, and I was advocating from this, you know, I had talked to some people. I mean, this was such an obvious move for Celtic to make, not only because they need it, because Rangers invested in it last season. And if you look at their injury data relative to ours last season, they were dramatically better hmm. and particularly in the soft tissue space. Um, And so I don't think that was luck. I think it was because they were smart and invested in this, um, this system. Um, but also, if you just think about how Ange plays, this is going to be incredibly demanding on players physically. You know, this attack, 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 high press, counter press. I mean, we'll, we'll, again, we'll talk about it when we get into discussing the, um, the friendly so far. But as exciting as that is, that is incredibly draining physically. And I'm not a sports science person. Um, I'm barely an athlete. <laughs> uh, but you know, to me, that would raise risks of soft tissue injuries. Yeah, um, it,
1: it, it definitely would. And I think injuries are something that people are starting to get more and more aware of, the importance of keeping players fit, especially as the demands increase. And w- one of the first teams to introduce chirotherapy, and I know chirotherapy is you know completely commonplace now, but it wasn't when Leicester won the league. And I remember reading about how Leicester had invested heavily on these chiro tanks. And Leicester, believe it or not, had the least amount of injuries. I'm not saying that was solely down to, to carotherapy, but it was, it was largely down to it. It, it. it definitely didn't hurt. definitely didn't hurt their ta- talent well, challenge
0: that year and, as well. And what this does is it, it basically takes, you know, you, you see those player, the players that wear those catapult bras, right? Mm-hmm. And, the, and players are having their vitals tested regularly. They get, you know, their BMI, their blood sugar, all this stuff. The, the teams are collecting all of this data right and up until now for the most part they've been spitballing it right so it's just the same as a doctor a hundred years ago i mean that's was the art of medicine that's why they call it the art of medicine is that they didn't have the statistics and the data that we had now um but even then if you have volume of data and you're not processing it if you have big data you have all this data what do you do with how do you interpret it and basically what this company does is, is it uses machine learning algorithms to take massive amounts of data from all of these teams, right? All of the teams and they crowdsource it and basically take all the vitals, all of this information being collected and try to look for, okay, when does a player get injured, right? What's the injury history and what precedes it? And then that creates flags, so that's, you're going to get a warning sign in, in training and say, okay, this guy has a, a flag now, let's give him a couple of days off so that, or, you know, adjust his regime or do something with his, his cooling off. Again, I don't know the specifics on all this, but have a plan to prevent the injury, mm-hmm. right? So it's a preventative part of it, which is, which is, um, and using that big data. So the stuff that you're talking about and is absolutely part, you know, the therapy and, 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 um, you know, stretching guys have used yoga. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that, that athletes have used historically to get, you know, improve these things. What's different about this is it's basically using the algorithms with big data. And that that's kind of the next generation of all of this. And And this is not widely used yet. So again, this is a competitive advantage, not only that we need to catch up with Rangers, but it's probably going to give us a little bit of an advantage within the context of Europe um, compared to other teams that mm-hmm. aren't aren't deploying it yet. But, you know, as I've talked about all of this, it's like an S-curve. It's an industry S-curve in innovation. And the earlier you get the advantage, the longer you're going to have it until everyone plays catch-up, yeah. right? So, so, you know, Rangers have a year on us. Uh, we're going to catch up to them quick. And then probably over the next three to five years, more and more of our competitors in Europe are going to start adopting too. Let's, you know, enjoy the advantage while we have it.
1: Before we finish up on the defence and move on to potential other signings, I do, do want to get your thoughts on this, Alan. A question that has come in from Tony McLaughlin, which I think is the same Tony McLaughlin that does stats on, on Twitter as well, basically asking about Welsh and his progression. But Murray and Hjelda, Hjelda obviously is back at the club now. He's an option at centre-back as well. I think he did quite well on loan last season. So, I mean, we joked on the show that we potentially could have Ralston, Welsh, Bitaan, and Greg Taylor starting in this Champions League game. If I, I'm, I'm not so sure Starfeld is actually going to play against uh, Michelin next week. I can't see how he comes into the team and immediately stamps on his place for that for that game. But uh, Kjelda has played in the preseason games, uh, Murray as well. So, w- what are your thoughts in there? Are they are they potential options that they could come in and, and stamp their authority this year?
2: Well, I've seen very little of them, uh, especially Murray. Uh, there was just the appearance in the in the friendlies. Uh, as the first I'd ever seen of him. In all honesty, uh, you, you know, so difficult to say, you know, really. But what what I would say, I'd agree with James, is that we've actually, in terms of sheer numbers, now got quite a lot of bodies in that department, right? So you've now got, on the face of it, uh, Starfelt, Signs, and Julian. You're looking at them as your first choice, and then behind that, you've got you know Welsh and Beaton, and then behind that, you've got Urugidi, Uru- and then potentially Hilda and a Murray. That's that's probably more bodies, you know, enough bodies in a sense, really. Um so I, I would be very uh, I would I would think we wouldn't sign any more centre halves to your original question. Um I st- you know, I, I I guess I'm gonna have to concede defeat and the Bit on isn't a centre half. <laughs> You know, debate. You know, I'm just not going to win that one. So this is where the the club clearly see him, and that's where he's played for the last couple of years. So got to get on with that. And you know, for those of you that may be new to this to the show, you know, what, what, what my performance number show with Biton is that he's absolutely, in fact, he's an, an a real asset playing centre back against you know ten out of the eleven um, opponents in the SPFL um, and some minnow teams in qualification for Europe. But you put him up against anybody that's of any quality at centre back, and there's, you know it's not going to end well. Unfortunately, uh, with Welsh uh, to Tony's question, um, I I was kind of I got more and more optimistic week on week with Welsh. If you look at his pure defending numbers, um, he plots probably not not so well compared to the likes of um, Ayer and Julianne and obviously Van Dijk and Benkovic and people like that who who posted really excellent defensive. Dual numbers and in number of interceptions, and that's really mainly down to uh, his aerial, his, his, his general lack of kind of ability aerially, or uh, and I think we've seen with Welsh it is is more of a physical thing. He's just not a very tall man. Uh, Starfelt's you know he's got a decent height. and As I say, I'll reserve judgment on his aerial success duels until we actually see the guy. But what Welsh developed and more and, and actually developed very noticeably is what I've touched on before, which is his ability to progress the ball. Uh, to such an extent that, as I say, his passing numbers from a, a packing perspective, again, packing is important because it, it's about it's not just about covering yards with the ball. It actually means you're taking opponents out the game, which means you know they're now behind the ball and not defending their goal. It's really important. Um, he, his packing numbers are second only to McGregor, and that, that that came from that came from very humble beginnings when he was first in the team, then developed as he went he went through so on that basis um and also the fact that he's a relatively mobile for uh, defender um welsh he's not particularly devastatingly quick but he's mobile enough um suggests to me that in a postocoglu setup you know he would he would do okay sure there would be reservations he we you know he's 17 I you know i'm not I can't, I can't uh, you know, am I going to sort of overanalyze the kid at 17 years old? So I'm concerned because I think literally on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever it is, whenever we play Mitterland, is going to be Welsh and bits on. So that concerns <laughs> the hell out of me. Um, but in terms of, you know, Starfield Julian, really good. Depth below that, promising. But is that enough for Celtic? Do we need at least one more body that could be relied upon? It uh, would be my question. Mm-hmm.
1: This is a Huddle Breakdown. We are the podcast that looks at the performance and analytics of, of Celtic. If you're watching the show or listening to the show for the first time, you can subscribe to our channel on Spotify. You can get us on iTunes as well or you can follow us on Twitter. I do want to get to this comment coming in from Robert and that's a question about the two right backs from Ren. So we'll move on to the the links at Celtic are being, uh, the players at Celtic are being linked with at the minute, because there are a couple. There is rumors that Lil Abada uh, is going to sign from uh, Maccabi Taba uh, at the end of the day, if not tomorrow. And then there's Brandon Soppy, a right back from Rennes, who's in his last year of contract with the French club as well. A 4 million transfer that's been rumored. That seems to be more likely, likely than the other uh, rumor coming in about the other Rennes right back. I think that might be an agent uh, trying to work as magic with that transfer. Uh, James, I know you've been looking at Brandon Soppy and, and Abadah as well. So w- what type of players are there, are they, and are they good enough for Celtic?
0: Well, again, I, all I can do is uh, give you my view based off of the profile that I built. So I, I you know, t- take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but I think there's definitely, as far as the fullbacks go, I'd say either seems to profile and, um, Sapi's nineteen. Um, he, he's played limited, but he stayed at Renz. Um, You know, with the limited amount of data that he had and the games that he played, uh, you know, he, he profiles fine. You know, he, he's probably a little bit more developed on the um, ball playing side, um, which again is an inverted fullback. If that's the way that it looks like we're going to be playing, um, that seems to fit. You know, he's, he's a uh you know a decent size fullback you know he's not a he's not from frimpong size basically or a taylor size he's yeah i think he's
1: he's five foot 11 i think
0: yeah yeah so he's more of a you know as i say more of a european size more more of a european profile in that in that regard um so there i think there's you know a, a lot to like there uh but he's 19 i mean that's that's young um uh, but I think that's probably also fits with what we're going to see with Ange. I mean, that, that's kind of the dictum coming in, I think, also relates to the conversation on the center back side and Yelda and Murray and, you know, Welsh, is that uh, he's more likely to, you know, look at de- developing these people and giving them a pathway into the first team where we've been horribly lacking in that for quite a while now. Um, so Soppy and, and Bowie, I think, I joked Baba Bowie uh, last night, uh, which is a Howard Stern reference from the United States, uh, in radio, but, um, yeah, Bowie's the other guy. He actually, he's played a lot. He's 20. He played at, uh, Dion. I don't, again, I always joke how Dion. horrible my linguistics are. Dion is I yeah. Uh, Dion, well over 2000 minutes last year. So pretty good, um, sample, but they were a terrible team. Um, I, which I actually found interesting in his data profile is that he put up a decent amount of, of creative passing for a team that that was, that was that bad. Um, and particularly his crossing stats were really good. Um, so I, I suspect he's really good at crossing. That doesn't make as much sense profile wise relative to what we've seen so far from, uh, from an ant. So I tend to agree with you. And uh, my guess is that soppy's still probably the main target, um, if, if there's a logical coherence, um, based off of my, my assumptions here, which I might be wrong again, who knows? I, I don't know. It's still quite early as far as how he has been playing and what he's going to be doing. But, um, the, the Israeli winger, I think it's a harder call. Um, I think a lot of people kind of leapt to the Shved analogy, which I think's a little lazy, um, I think the big part there is because he's massively outperformed his XG, which was, you know, and he's got an awesome highlight reel. So that's basically the extent of the Chevette analogy. Um, I, I think the issue there is that by all reports, he's extremely athletic and and plays fairly aggressively. Um, I don't see that translating in his data. I mean, I don't see things like, particularly for the position he's playing, I don't see it in dribbles. I don't see it in um, progressive runs, acceleration metrics. Um, you know, so he's not terribly creative His crossing. Isn't, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of, a lot of his data is kind of just okay. Or even below average for the, the sample profile that I put together for his peer group, which is basically, you know, players in senior competitions that are kind of 20 and younger. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I wasn't comparing him to, you know, uh, liverpool and chelsea wingers it was um or only you know i was it was a large sample
1: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time
2: If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host.
0: And and uh, of, of like players. And he just doesn't stand out really in any way other than his goal scoring record. Um, and that... I think that's the anxiety, which is maybe he does have an outlier skill in shooting um, it's possible and or or maybe he can get coached. He's so young, I think he's nineteen. Maybe this aggression and uh, physical talent and speed that he has can be channeled productively to get more output, you know, press more. I mean is like you know things like his interception stats aren't there even for a winger as well, so it, there's just not a lot of output. In in event data that suggests that he's translating his athleticism to to uh, to production, like I said, other than goal scoring,
1: okay.
0: and so that can be developed. Maybe it's that maybe that's what Celtics see is that the, a path to coaching that and putting him in a system that's going to highlight it, and that's certainly plausible. Um, it's just from the profile I built, I don't see evidence of it yet.
1: It sounds a bit like the Henrik Mkhitaryan transfer to Manchester United. When he signed for United, he had some insane stats when he came to the Bundesliga the season before. Like I'm, I'm talking 25 odd assists along with 26 goals in his in his season. And then he came, and I'm not saying Mkhitaryan is bad player. I'm just saying he wasn't that player. So this guy could be the greatest player to come out of the Israeli league in the last 10, 15 years, or he could be a pretty decent player who you know maybe is not as good as his. Is uh, I'm going to say stats, but I, what I mean is the frontline stats as goals, assists, etc. He might not be as good as they suggest. So I'm going to hold fire until I actually see the guy if he does arrive I, at Celtic.
0: Absolutely, and I, to to me, it's um there I I can see a, a a plausible scenario for the path of development for him because again, the, I would think he's going to play behind Forrest. Right. I'd be surprised if he's going to just come in and displace Forrest or if that's the plan. Um, so, you know, if it, the scenario that I laid out that they I, have identified someone who's got raw ability that they can coach and that kind of fits with Irrigidi, too, by the way, and Shaw. Right. So we, we've got a, if you know, one of the things from an analytics perspective that's, that's all about is pattern recognition. Right. So it's deducing patterns and learning things from, from um, patterns, whether it be in data or behavior. And so we've got a pattern forming here, which is fairly raw 19, 20 year old players that have the athletic components that appear to be um, fertile, but maybe a little bit deficient on the skill side. Hmm. And, and um, that's right for development. And we've got a manager who's got a track record of development uh so that makes sense well
1: that's the thing I mean if it was underneath Lennon I'd be worried because are these players going to be coached but under Ange it seems like they actually are let's move on to the preseason games because Celtic have had 2 preseason games already so we've played against Charlton Athletic and we've played against Sheffield Wednesday and we're playing against uh, Bristol City tonight at half seven I think that game is um two wins from two so far and, you know, there are, there are patterns starting to emerge in the, um, in the two games that we've actually played. I'm, I'm, again, preseason games, can't judge too much on it. Do I believe that Celtic are going to be playing the same way in November as they're playing now? No, I don't. But there are obvious progressions in which Ange seems to look to improve the team. And Alan,
2: what are your early thoughts of what you've been seeing? Yeah, so just one second before we get into that, I just want to give give you a, a little theory. It's not based on any inside information or what have you about um, the Israeli winger. It was a Abada, Abada. Sorry, I, I I wonder actually if we're buying him as a striker, and the reason I say that is is um, and I would I would ask, ask James how does he profile as a striker. Would that, in that benchmark, what would his stats look like? Because he has played as a striker. His main his main attribute is yeah. goal scoring. If you think that we've got Forrest, and I think Forrest is going to be an absolute hit uh, as far as uh, Postacoglu is concerned in terms of how he wants his wingers to play. Uh, and then Dembele looks like he's going to get a chance. And uh, and if you think of the fact that we've actually, if, if you assume that Eduardo will be off, it looks like Griffiths is not long for this world. Um, and obviously uh, we, we, we've got a Jetty, we've literally got one striker. So I, I, I'm thinking, you know, what is the most logical answer to why are we signing this kid? And to me, it's it's to play him as a striker. So I'll just leave you with that thought. But again, it's just based on nothing more than, you know, the old Sherlock Holmes maxim, if, if you don't know the answer, what's the most obvious <laughs>
0: kind of conclusion uh, that, that, that you come to? That's a great take, Alan. I love that. You just rocked my world, so I got I, I got to think about that.
1: All right, we'll yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll get James to post that on the Huddle Breakdown Twitter page after this when he when he actually gets time to research it. So,
2: what so, about what about
1: the preseason games then? Yeah, preseason.
2: So so listen, I, maybe I'm choosing to be optimistic. You know, and I am optimistic about Postacoglu. I don't have any. Real worries about him as an individual is his, his credentials as a manager, his experience, his skills, his ability to improve teams, his clarity of vision, his clarity of communication, his ability to to form bonds with 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 the with the, with the team. My concern is with the organisation around him, as we've talked about, right? So I'm maybe choosing to be a little bit uh, optimistic, but I, I've been very pleasantly surprised uh, by the two preseason games that we've had, and especially the first half against Charlton. Because what I saw there was it was, was a was a relatively well realized and Andanthroppostocockley team. and it looked like if I had to bet, which I don't, um, it looked like pretty close to the team that will get played uh, in next week, right? Um, and, and the way the intensity with which they played, the uh, way that they bought into their uh, individual roles uh, for that 45 minutes, I thought was pretty impressive actually. Um, there were some a lot of interesting things there. We mentioned Barkas, and fat, the, the fact that he was taking up a position literally on the halfway line between the centre backs, where Brown used to drop into. And essentially, what that means is you've now released a midfielder. Which is, I mean, it doesn't sound much, but actually that makes a huge. That's one tiny little change it makes a significant difference at your ability to control the game. And, and Postecoglou's teams are all about controlling controlling the game. Um, The person, that one of the people that impressed me most was was Montgomery in terms of his movement off the ball and the way that he was uh, inverting. So what I mean by that was you're letting the full back, uh, you know, Taylor go past him. He would move into midfield and create either an overload in the centre or vice versa. And Taylor would move into the centre and, um, uh, you know, Montgomery would form. Uh, the left-sided attacking role, because actually coming back to Abada, uh, that's that's really where we're lacking. We, apart from mm-hmm. Johnston, we don't have a left-sided attacker, so that would desperately need somebody in that position as as by the by. So that 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 piece of it impressed me uh, a, a lot, really. And obviously the the midfield axis of McGregor, Soro, and Turnbull, I think by any standards you you would think that's a good midfield. And uh, the ability to again recycle the ball to be um, to be rotating, etc. Dembele again was cutting in, uh, and, and, a, and, a, and a jetty, a jetty this is what I was screaming for last last season. He was was given a role which wasn't to go out wide, it wasn't to come too deep. It was to stay within the the, 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 the width of the 18 yard box and to get into the penalty area. And guess what? You know he, he looks a pretty dangerous striker because he is intelligent. His movement is good. His touch is fantastic. His finishing is very good. Uh, I think that yeah, it's just the fact that if he gets injured, I think he, he got a knock in that game. It's just like, well, what, what the hell do we do now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. very, very, very encouraged, I would say, uh, by that particular that, that half, I would say. And I'm focusing mm-hmm. on that half because I think that's where we saw a, a, a team that I think will be very close to the Mitchell and uh, lineup, and a team playing in a way that I think is very close to how Buster Coglu wants them to play.
1: Yeah, Jetty looks like he's sort of slimmed down a little bit as well, which is is nice to see. Nice to see that he's coming into preseason in good shape. Um, the Montgomery one's an interesting one. It, it's a really good point because if you think about Celtic over the last couple of years, it's been overlapping wingbacks crossing um, unsuccessfully most of the time into a, a box with players who are not necessarily all that good in the air. So if the fullbacks are actually playing inverted and creating space inside and bringing the ball inside into the box – for low crosses and, and, and passes into the box. And that's going to be a much more effective way to play football with the group of players that we have. One question that has come in and Scrafton Diamond is asking it. And it's someone that stood out for me in the preseason games as well. And somebody who didn't get a lot of game time last week or last year, rather was Karamoko Dembele. He was really good, I think against Charton, except especially in the, in the first half that I seen. And, um, looks like he shot up a bit as well so is he a guy that you expect to be playing a bit more here james
0: i think it's very likely uh he's i think that the i i'll go back um 30 years to my days as a high school basketball player right you're going uh, back
1: you're going back
2: before i was born then
0: yeah Yeah. exactly
2: <laughs> just to should, make should, it feel old
0: f you enda yeah, um, it was
2: all in black and white Ender, in those days yeah
0: <laughs> Back to, back to when all of these uh, stat critics on, uh, on Twitter who call me a virgin when I actually was a virgin. Um, <laughs> so uh, it, it takes me – watching Anja's system takes me back to that because we ran what they call in basketball motion offense, right? So basically you, you pass the ball a lot and it's all about cutting. It's cutting through the lane, dragging defenders out of position, because at that time, most teams were playing man to man uh, at the high school level. Um, So it it creates space and it's dynamic and there's it doesn't really matter if you're a a nominal because look at me. I mean, I'm not 6'10". So I was playing power forward and center on a team at that time. Um, and, And so you drag players out of space and it's less about, you know, your quote unquote position than it is the system. And to me, that's what it looks like his system is. His system is about fluidity. It's about fullbacks interchanging with midfielders and, and whoever is on the ball, someone's making a run. I mean, every time that first half was was um, so enjoyable to watch because every time there was a pass made, the guy was moving and not moving in this aimless, you know, kind of let me go find space. It was balls to the wall cut and putting pressure on defenders around them. And I think that Dembelli, who cares how tall he is, right? It's how quick you are, how mobile you are, and how smart you are. And um, that certainly would fit with kind of the dynamics of the Japanese league as well. Um, And if you looked at the Marinos teams that he had and how they played, I mean, some of the football was just amazing and the cutting and, you know, the crossing to players making orchestrated, coherent cuts. And run, you know, they call it runs more so in football than cuts. But I mean, it's the same concept. It's the same principle. Um, and that that's where I get excited because you get guys like McGregor. He's, he's tailor made for that. Um, you, you get somebody like Incham who could be an asset in hitting those cutters from deep. This is why I get back to how do you fit the pieces together? A guy like Beton who can hit a cutter from deep. Right. So there's all these I, I I don't think we even fully grasped yet how these different pieces of the puzzle are going to fit together and how explosive they could be once they're coherent, well drilled and, and um, you know, all firing. Um, so I think a, I think a Dembele, absolutely, if anything, given his age profile and his quickness, um, you know, again. Forrest's strengths are more of like a clear out f- player in basketball, you know, more of a one-on-one um, heads up beating a man. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but given is he's slowing down, he's 30 now, you know, is he going to fit as well into the system of that kind of cutting and explosive movement? Um, that's where I am th- very optimistic on Johnston, Mikey Johnston and how he'll fit into this. Um, even uh bone goalie, if he ends up, being rebirthed we'll see right so you get some of these guys with the physical profile think explosiveness as opposed to physicality you know it, it's less i think it's going to be less so about you know getting muscled up as opposed to you know eat my dust S- yeah. see it see it down the road kind of thing um and that we're going to blow by people more so than you know wrestle through them
1: hmm. Celtic scored three goals against Sheffield Wednesday. All three of them came from a high press, which was definitely a theme of these games. And Liam Shaw, yep. former Wednesday player, key role in this. I think I've been really impressed with Liam Shaw in the, in the two games that we've played so far. And yep. he just seems to be a really quality player.
2: Well, yeah, we'll see. But I mean, so uh, in those of you who don't know, I live in Sheffield. So Wednesday, Sheffield United, uh, I mean, I tend to frequent Bram and Lane, If I'm honest, I, I worked out that I hadn't been to Hillsborough since the 1996 European Championships, <laughs> so not, I was not even to see Wednesday. Uh, but I do know, I do know, I do know a lot of Wednesday fans. Obviously, so the the general consensus was that Urogydi really was potentially the gem uh, show. Uh, they saw some great performances from. They also saw, you know, two sendings off and a bit of recklessness and a bit of a headless sort of chicken. I think was the, the thought. But again, in the context of playing in a desperately struggling team at the bottom of the championship, in a, in a very, very physically tough league, um, so they both—they both—they're both six-two, they're both, they're both right? They're both big physical uh, players. To, to James's point, I think we see that if if the kid from Watford Low, Low, Lowell. Peter Lowell's boy, if he signs, um, he's another he's another big big unit. So there's clearly um, something going on there around bulk, you know, bulking up the athleticism of the side. Um, those these two boys complete, absolutely add to that. Uh, Urogidi, uh I think, you know, he had, he had a bit of a skittish 45 minutes as a right-back because we don't, frankly, have anyone else to play there. And I think you can see his weaknesses are that ball progression, that running with the ball. He wasn't that comfortable. He wasn't comfortable playing out from the back. Um, he loves defending, and I think in a, in a centre centre back position he'd be different. Um with Shaw, um again he's played the other thing with while Wednesday fans are a little bit, you know I couldn't get a sort of definitive answer from from the ones I spoke to was that he he'd been moved around a lot. He'd played a bit of left back, he played centre back, he'd played, played centre midfield, he'd played as a six. You know, the kid had been moved around a lot. Uh, and, he, and he's only he's, he's, he's only young. I think uh, consensus was he's probably best suited to that midfield role. And I think what we saw uh, in the game, especially against Wednesday, is that box-to-boxness, if you like, almost that sort of Joe Ledley up and down, up and down. Not necessarily particularly mm-hmm. fast, but um, with Shaw, you've got the just the sheer uh, you know length of stride means he covers the ground quickly, even if he doesn't look like he's running very fast. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, he, he, he's and he's very aggressive, and he was closing the ball down. Uh, and we don't we don't really have that in the midfield. Brown, obviously, as we know, we couldn't do that. It's not McGregor's game. Christie can can do it, but not quite to the same. He's not quite as defensively focused as Shaw. So I think he's going to add something a little bit different uh, in that regard. Um, he looks a little bit ungainly. I'm not sure technically how good he is. Let let's see. But but I would say that. I think he adds something that the Celtic midfield, sorry, don't have at the moment. So that's, that's got to be a good thing. And I think that's the one part of the team now, if we talk, go back to talking about the squad and where are we with the rebuild, if you think about that midfield area with Soros, Shaw, you know, incham looks like he's back in the fold. And, you know, an incham on his game is a real asset to Celtic. You know, it really is. You know, McGregor, Rogic, you know, we were actually really well stocked in that one part of the field so that'll be interesting as say, sure adds that little bit something different
1: Mm. yeah it's 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 interesting the squad is definitely starting to take shape a little bit which brings us along to the Champions League next week a lot of people have been getting really skittish about the transfers and the need to get the transfers in before the end of the week personally the the transfers that come in this week probably aren't playing in that game anyway um, I I just uh, I just don't see how somebody can come in on on a Wednesday and and play the next Tuesday for a team and a group of players that he's never played with, and for a manager whose style he's never played under. So I think we're currently working with the squad that we have. I think that's where we're going with with Tuesday. So Alan, I'll, I'll give you the first shout before we finish up. Then the FC Michelin game next Tuesday. How confident or otherwise
2: are you? <laughs> um, no, I can't say I'm confident at all. I mean, it's it, you know, again. You've got to have sympathy, I suppose. You know, Celtic are in this position where, by the middle of July, they've got to have sorted a, a new team out every year, and you know the rest of Europe, the rest of um, the marketplace doesn't doesn't march to that cadence. You know, a lot of leagues don't start till September, so you know it's, it is hard. It's a really difficult environment to work in. All that being said, you know, to me, there's an obvious solution, which is you get much of your business done in January or what have you as, you as you possibly can and you give everyone six months to bed in but anyway let's move on Mitterland so i'm not not i'm not optimistic um this is this is a this is going to be a very well uh coached team um they're a young team i think there's 16 of the squad were born in the year 2000 or later just like sort of de- so depressing if you mean um that's young for me yeah, yeah yeah they've got a Sprinkling of Brazilians and Nigerians, so they're kind of, you know, tapping markets that are rich in terms of, you know, the amount of um, importable talent that they produce. They have their first um, foray into the Champions League last season. Now, they lost the first four games and then salvaged two draws in their last two games against probably weakened teams because, the, 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 you know, the league was already uh, sorted out. But they've got that experience under the belt the you know in terms of their style they're actually going to play in a very similar way to how postecoglou will play they're going to play a very high press very aggressive press um you know they're going to be um and when they don't when they lose the ball they're going to retreat into a very compact um, uh, low block, so there's going to be very very limited space between their defence and the midfield out of possession. They're going to go back to a four five one out of possession, but 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 when Celtic have got the ball, they're really going to put really going to put the pressure on, and they got a lot of joy against Liverpool uh, playing that way. Uh, they tried to man up to Atalanta, who's uh, you know James's sort of second favourite team, uh, doing that doing a very similar uh, similar way, and actually Atalanta got a lot of success against Midland by. Bringing their fullbacks in by rotating the fullbacks, the centre forward would drop deep, the centre midfielder would, would go into centre forward position, they'd create little overloads in wide spaces and they pick them apart pretty effectively. Atalanta, who are a really good side uh, against Mitterland uh, when they played them that way. Um, again, you know, they, they, they restrict their opponents to very low passes for defensive action. I think it was around about the four mark, which is pretty low. Um, but they're also going to be very direct, right? They've got a, a striker Kaba who loves duels, right? He loves fighting for the ball. He can get involved in up to thirty duels a game. That's, a, that's an insane number for for a striker. So, that, so they're going to be they like crosses, averaging you know in the Danish league over eighteen crosses a game. So they're going to be banging the ball forward to this guy. They're they're strikers, and they're they're three midfielders that sit behind them in a 4-2-3-1. All four, all four of those players have got over point five goals and assists per ninety minutes last season. Um, Kaba was point seven, so the, the the goal, you know, the threat is a all the way across that front line from uh, the, the Danish player Dreyer, Sisto, the winger Evander, who's a Brazilian, uh, chipped in with a, a lot of goals as well. So you know, the the average around four hundred passes a game, which is quite low. Apostokou, I think, once he gets Celtic uh, muttering. You're going to be looking at six, seven hundred passes again. Just again, just it just speaks to the to the um, directness that they're they're going to are going to bring. What what really concerns me is uh, from a coaching element is is for example when they played Liverpool in the Champions League. Now, admittedly, Liverpool um, played a bit of a second string even in the home game when it was still up for grabs. But they actually nullified Liverpool and, and they they actually worked Liverpool out. If they 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 starved possession to the two fullbacks. Um, they gave them nowhere to go. They pressed them high. Liverpool created nothing until they brought on Sane, Salah, and Firmino, and then they won the game uh, in the second half, and then with a very late goal. So this is a team who's well coached, who will have a plan. Although they probably don't know how Saturday are going to play because we don't know how they are going to play. So I think we've got, I think we've got the element of surprise. That's, yeah. I'll, I'll say that as a hope. But I think um, this is going to be a very well drilled team, um, and they're a team that is going to be, you know. Some of the concerns that we 've got about defensively about defending high balls about you know defend, you know, concerns about winning duels, beat on welsh i 'm thinking of here is it's going to it's going to be an issue for us so uh, and then if we 're playing full backs like Ralston and Montgomery and they're going to deploy a high press and and Ralston's not the quickest on his feet, you know we 're not going to get the ball out we 're going to get trapped, so these are the dangers that I see really. But at the end of the day, this is a Danish team. You know, the, they lost their Champions League games because ultimately didn't have they had they had the other teams had better players than them. I would expect Celtic players to be better, but I'd expect this team to be better organized and to have a plan. Mm.
1: I presume this is your one of your favorite teams here, James, and an American owner who in, in implemented the money ball system and turned things around.
0: So how dare you? Um, so stereotype me like that. They, uh, yeah. So that they've got the same owner as uh, Brentford, and to put this into perspective, I think their wage budget is about twenty five percent of Celtics. So they're doing all this on twenty five percent of um, Celtics money. So uh, they've been building this club uh, since the acquisition. I think it was back maybe five six years ago, and they've been building, meaning that it's been improving. You know, this is not the team that Rangers beat in qualifying a couple of years ago. Uh, They've continued to uh, improve and invest. And the model is probably where we're heading, hopefully, in a degree, only at scale because we have more resources, which is investing in youth, playing youth, giving them a path, and building a system that optimizes that athleticism of the youth, right? So if we were heading into facing this team last year, I would have been petrified given our profile last year um, and our vulnerability to, to athletic teams that have a good plan and and uh, could do damage. Uh, I'm actually a little more optimistic than probably the consensus going in for, for a couple of reasons. Number one is that quality gap, meaning that if, you know, if Edouard does play, we still have some really talented players that probably are a notch above a lot of their players from a pure talent perspective, Um, And at important positions like striker. Uh, So if we have a system that's really clicking, even a, even a jetty, I mean, if he's firing in a system that matters, he's a, you know, European level striker as I think we've already started to see glimpses of Um, the defensive sides, the real issue, the question, I think the athleticism that we're going to have in midfield now is going to make sure that that's at least competitive and and we're not going to be as much of a train wreck and transition as we were last season. Um, so I think we could get through, uh, I don't think it's crazy to think that we could get through. I think the variance on this tie is very high because it could be a wild one. You know, we could be seeing four, three type of games. I think that would be an, uh, an unsurprising, um, way that this unfolds, uh, because if you look at Michelin and how they've played in Europe, they've had a number of those games, uh, cause they do kind of come at people. They're not going in, packing it in they're going to be like a bielsa Leeds team playing in the premier league right they're going to go down in flames if they're going to go down uh or like an atalanta how they played against liverpool you know um lose rather lose four three than <laughs> uh two nil um so I, I you know a little bit of luck a little bit of variance we're going to have young fit players for the most part going in we got some quality coming back that's what i'm excited to see today are we going to see a bowling goalie? Are we going to see an incham? Are we going to see, I know Edward took a knock. We don't know what's going on there. Maybe with some of the nonsense, potentially with contract negotiations, that could be a theoretical uh, consideration going in. Um, but, it, you know, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. And what I mean there is I'm not defeatist. You know, I, I think we have a good shot here. I even think we have a good shot. A higher I shouldn't say a good shot. That's wrong. I think we have a higher than consensus possibility of qualifying for Champions League even because of the variance that happens in these ties and how uh, Posolokogu's style is one of variance, meaning that if we're going to be an underdog, which we very likely will be if we get past Michelin, um, a helter-skelter style lends itself to variance. And when you're the underdog, you want variance. You know, Ferenc Faros wanted variance, which is why Lennon's style of play was didn't make sense in in my mind relative to that right so when you're the underdog you want a little bit of chaos um and and so I'm not I don't think we have a 55 or 60 percent chance but I think most people are a little bit more defeatist than is probably realistic uh as far as particularly in this tie against Michelin I mean I think we have a good a good chance in the tie is it 50 50 probably not i mean realistically because of all the things that we're talking about i mean again we can't be ridiculous about this i mean if you look at the backdrop of the transition and you know players new into a system i mean there's a lot that could go wrong here um but i see a recipe where you know it could go right and i don't think that that thinking that's plausible is crazy
1: yeah yeah well Let's hope so. Let's let's hope so that we can actually create something one one thing I'm optimistic about is the fact that, you know, they've got a new manager as well. So there's no there's no guarantee that they'll be completely um ready to play his style of play or completely adjusted to what he wants. So I mean that that is something that does give me optimism going into it. I will be speaking to a Danish journalist ahead of that as well on the show. So I'll post that in the podcast uh, network, the Huddle Breakdown as well. This has been the first Huddle Breakdown of the season. Alan, James, has been it's been great to be back. We hopefully will have some better football, some more successful football to talk about this year. If you've been watching the show on YouTube, thanks very much for dropping your comments below. You can subscribe to the channel and get notified every time we go live as well. That'll be pretty much every Wednesday for the next couple of weeks at least. And you can subscribe to the Huddle Breakdown podcast as well on iTunes or on Spotify as well. So it'll be on spotify and itunes and wherever wherever else you get your podcast by the end of the night as well so if you want to listen back to the show that's where you can get us or you can follow us on twitter at huddle breakdown as well but that is us for this week so we shall chat to you next week good luck